The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Main Street Vegan, a lively hour with host Victoria Moran best-selling author and the OG of vegan living for over 40 years. She and her guests have got the goods to help you look and feel amazing, make a difference for animals, and discover the soulful side of the vegan journey. Now, here's Victoria. Do you ever say to somebody, oh, it's not a big deal? Oh my goodness, that's not important. Oh, for heaven's sakes, don't worry about that. And then you wake up and realize it was more important than I thought. We are going to be talking about something just like that today. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran. Thank you so much for joining us on the Main Street Vegan Podcast. And yes, I probably sound as if I am coming to you from a submarine. I'm not. I just have some kind of gunk that's going around. So please pardon my less than regular voice because we are absolutely going to be having a more than regular hour together today with somebody that you know and I love and you probably love her too because she's one of those people that to know her is to love her as they say and Mm. she is Brenda Davis she was named the godmother of vegan dietitians by Veg News Magazine and even though she's not that elderly I would certainly see her as godmothering a whole lot of amazing things going on in the world of plant-based nutrition. Brenda is one of the world's leading plant-based pioneers. She speaks internationally. She is a rock star in this movement. She was the 2022 recipient of the Plantrition Project's Luminary Award, and her work focuses on assuring that everybody who wants to be plant-based can do it and do it successfully. Wouldn't it be amazing if we never had to hear somebody say, oh yeah, I used to do that. It just didn't work for me. Well, they didn't know Brenda Davis. They could find her up in Alberta, Canada, where she lives with her husband, Paul, and you can find her at brendadavisrd.com. 
Well, welcome, Brenda Davis, RD. Oh, thank you so much for that beautiful introduction, Victoria. Uh, I, I'm really excited about being here with you. I just have appreciated you and your work for so many years. So thank you for all you do as well. Ah, well, it's wonderful to talk with you. And you have a brand new book, which is extremely exciting. And it is called Plant Powered Protein. Nutrition Essentials and Dietary Guidelines for All Ages. So why now? Why protein? Well, it's a kind of a funny story. It's because our publisher, the book publishing company, uh, our publisher said to us, you know, every time we have a booth at a, you know, a show, the number one question we get asked is where do you get your protein if you're going plant-based? And, and he said, I just can't, can't um, think of anyone who'd be better to answer that question. Why don't you guys write a book about protein? And to be honest, our response was, well, you know, a whole book about protein, it's not that complicated. Um, but we, we decided that uh, there, you know, when we started really looking at things, um, that there is just more than meets the eye where protein is concerned. And uh, we got really excited about it. And we, you know, we ended up bringing my son, Corey, into the project to do a, a chapter on the environmental impacts of your protein uh, choices. And uh, it ended up be, being, um, you know, a, a project that I think was more than worthwhile because there are a lot of controversies surrounding protein in the plant-based world. Well, there really is. And that was where I got my little lead in that for all these years, we have been hearing, don't worry about it. Get enough calories from natural foods. You'll be fine. It's not that big a deal. Have you ever seen anybody with a protein deficiency? Do you know anybody who's ever been diagnosed with a protein deficiency? And I was working with a woman and I just blithely asked her that question. And she said, well, yes, my mother. And so how did we get off on this? I mean, I know we don't need gargantuan amounts of protein, like the keto people would tell us, but we may well need more than we've been thinking. Yeah. And, and you know what, what's interesting is that most of us, even, you know, certainly omnivores exceed the RDA for protein by probably, a, you know, a hundred percent, but even vegetarians and vegans tend to consume, you know, 25 to 50% more protein than the RDA. And the RDA is actually set at 25% above biological requirements. And, and that RDA is meant to cover 97 to 98% of the population, which essentially means that the current RDA provides more than enough protein for 98 to 97 to 98% of, of the population. But the reality uh, is, is different for people at different ages and stages and there are times and there are dietary trends that can make getting enough protein a little more challenging. And so certainly protein requirements per kilogram body weight or per pound body weight are higher during the growing years. They're higher during pregnancy and lactation. Now, we don't have a separate RDA per se for athletes or for, for older adults. But they also need more 
probably need more protein. And most experts will say athletes need, you know, 1.2 to 2 grams of protein per kilogram body weight. And now there are many countries, not in North America yet, but many countries that actually have separate RDAs for seniors or people over, depending on the country, over 65 or over 70. And that's often 1 to 1.2 grams per kilogram because as you get older, uh, you you actually tend to eat fewer calories. So you may not necessarily be getting what you got when you were younger. And you also don't digest and absorb protein as efficiently as you did when you're younger, nor do you build protein or build muscle as efficiently as you did when you were younger. And so needs for seniors may be higher. And when you're getting fewer calories, that can be challenging. And so to be honest, in my practice, I have seen inadequate protein intakes and symptoms of inadequate protein intakes, mostly in senior women. And how about vegans in general? Do these RDAs take into account whether somebody is consuming plant protein or animal protein? Gram per gram, are they equal? Yeah. And you know what? Uh, That is just a fantastic question, Uh, but they don't. So so the RDA is set at 0.8 grams per kilogram body weight for everyone. But of course, the reality is if you're consuming a truly whole food plant-based diet, your diet, the digestibility of the protein in that diet is probably about 10% lower than it would be in an omnivorous diet. And so there are some experts that would suggest it may make sense to add 10% to the RDA for whole food plant-based eaters. Now, for people that are consuming a lot of low fiber, uh, protein-rich plant foods like tofu, uh, soy milk, uh, meat analogs, seitan, uh, nut and seed butters, these kinds of foods on a daily basis, I would say they don't need to worry about adding that 10%. But for people that are really consuming, you know, beans and lentils and whole grains and and fruits and vegetables and 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 you know those are their their mainstays. They may want to add ten percent, uh, just as a you know a little uh, extras, an extra insurance that they're getting what they need, especially as they age. And you know the other thing, Victoria, I just have to add. I it's really important that people recognize that the RDA. So let's say you weigh sixty kilograms. Your, or let's, let's say you weigh 80 kilograms, but your healthy body weight is 60 kilograms. Your protein requirements are based on your healthy weight, not your actual body weight. So for a person who's obese, they would base their requirements on their healthiest body weight. And you know, Brenda, most of us don't do any of that kind of stuff at all. We just eat. And so when you describe that beautiful whole food plant-based diet, that sounds like the eating plan for someone who is doing great. Somebody who has terrific health and they're working out and they're just doing beautifully and people who aren't quite that perfect kind of envy them. But you're saying that 
it's at least theoretically possible that on the perfect diet, they could need more protein. I, I am. And I, and I say that with, you know, generally, I think that, you know, generally, especially for, you know, adults and, and even most children and adolescents, if you're meeting your caloric requirements and you're eating a variety of plant foods, so you're including plenty of legumes and, and whole grains and fruits and vegetables and some nuts and seeds, then your protein needs are, you know, almost certainly being met. However, <laughs> there are many people who eat, um, you know, a very, uh, carbohydrate heavy diet. So they're eating, you know, potatoes and vegetables and they're not getting the legumes and the nuts and seeds in so well. They may come up a little bit shorter, people that are eating very fruit-based diets. But I think the people that are at the greatest risk, to be honest, are older adults because they often end up eating uh, very simple foods, kind of the tea and toast uh, senior, where uh, they're, they may not be getting the more concentrated protein choices and they tend to eat fewer calories. So they may be consuming 1500 calories and 35 or 40 grams of protein a day, which really isn't enough for most people. So let's bring that into food. So let's just go through a, a regular, simple three meal a day kind of eating plan for, let's just say, uh, a woman, she's 60 years old, she's about 140 pounds. I'm American. I don't know grams. So what is it going to look like? What What is her intake going to look like to be sure she's getting enough protein as a vegan? It's really as simple as making sure you're choosing a decent source of protein with each meal. So for example, at breakfast, uh, somebody might have oatmeal uh, with almond milk and sliced bananas. So that meal might provide 10 grams of protein if she's lucky. Uh, we can double the protein intake in, uh, you know, the, at the snap of your fingers by changing uh, a few things with that meal. So number one, switching from almond milk to soy or some other um, more protein-rich milk, like a pea milk or something like that. But soy milk tends to be uh, probably the most nutrient-dense of all the non-dairy milks. So that would add, you know, at least six to eight grams of protein to that meal if you had a cup of uh, protein-rich non-dairy milk. And then uh, by adding, you know, a, a couple of tablespoons of hemp seeds, by adding a, a sprinkle of, of walnuts um, and a greater variety of uh, fruits, uh, like some berries, for example, uh, you could easily add another seven or eight or more grams of protein to that meal. And, and the meal would end up providing at least 20 grams of protein instead of you know, eight or 10, uh, originally. And, and then at lunchtime, uh, we recommend people get a lot of leafy greens and cruciferous and colorful vegetables. And so, uh, I know for myself, um, my lunch is most days it's a big salad. And when I say big, I mean 
you know, probably five cups of greens. It's a good size. And, and then I love to cover the whole rainbow. So I'll include yellow and orange and red and purple, blue and, and white and all of the colors of, of different plants on that salad. And if you just had a salad like that and you put on a, a sort of a fat free, uh, purchased dressing, uh, that salad might provide you seven or eight grams of, of protein. Um, but you could easily double or triple that by adding a concentrated protein source like little baked tofu cubes, uh, some beans or lentils, and then some sort of a grain like quinoa, uh, sprinkle a few seeds on top, make your dressing with, I mean, I make most of my dressings with tahini and hemp seeds. And, and so my salad would easily have 25 grams of protein. Uh, and it's a, a pretty easy uh, uh, flip by just, you know, making some choices where you're really thinking about, you know, where is that protein coming from for that meal and making it uh, a meal that, that features all of the food groups. Uh, and that is, a, I think, an easy thing for people to do is to, to have a protein choice and a carbohydrate choice along with all of your fruits and vegetables at your meals. And then at, at dinner time, if you're having, say, pasta and marinara sauce, for example, uh, with a, you know, a little bit of kale salad or something like that, uh, you're, you're, you could, um, end up with l under 10 grams of, of protein for pasta and marinara sauce. But if, you choose a legume uh, pasta, like lentil pasta or chickpea pasta. Well, that pasta will provide about 20 grams of protein in a serving. If Or if you like regular pasta, you know, whole wheat pasta or whatever it is, you could add some red lentils to your sauce uh, to boost the protein intake. So there are, you know, just thinking about how am I getting you know, legumes generally, or tofu, or something like that, into into the meals, or soy milk, and nuts and seeds, and so forth. That seems so easy if somebody just knows they're supposed to be thinking about it. So that was just really helpful, Brenda. Thank you. Oh, good. You're so welcome. What about protein powder? I think one of our experts recently said protein powder is the white sugar of plant-based eating. <laughs> <laughs> that would be another way if somebody likes smoothies to to get some extra. What do you think? Well, you know, I I I wouldn't say it's the white sugar of the sort of protein kingdom. I think that you know there are some protein powders, you know, made from hemp seeds or from soy that are um, they're just convenient. <laughs> And so for an athlete who requires 5,000 calories a day and is trying to get 120 grams of protein a day, adding a protein powder to a smoothie can just make life a whole lot easier. But it's not a prerequisite. It's not required even for athletes who need 120 to 150 grams of protein a day. Uh, one thing that I do, I don't I have smoothies myself very often because I like uh, chewing my food more than drinking it. But my husband loves to have a smoothie. And so when I make his smoothies, I don't actually use a protein powder, but I do use protein rich foods in his smoothie. So I use um, probably a quarter cup of hemp seeds, 
I use frozen peas, which will give an extra little protein boost. I use soy milk instead of water. And so I still am adding probably, you know, 30, 35 grams of protein to that smoothie by using whole foods. So that's a, a reasonable uh, option. But if for people that really do want to use a, a protein powder, um, I would say that, you know, really look for that sort of third-party certification stamp on the label to make sure that the product is green for safety because some of these products have a lot of fillers and additives and preservatives and sugars and thickeners and artificial colors. And so look at the ingredient list, look for that, that safety, because some of these products can be high in, in heavy metals and so forth. And, and then the other thing is, is, um, to look for products, if you can, that have a range of, of protein sources. Uh, like this is a real shock. So soy, pumpkin, hemp, pea are, are all thought of as being the very best protein choices in the plant kingdom. But corn actually tops the list for leucine, which is, which is, although it is low in lysine. So if you can, you know, you combine it with, uh, with soy or hemp or whatever that might be higher in lysine. It, it, leucine is the essential amino acid that is really important for muscle gains. And, and, you know, potatoes are relatively low in protein, but when you extract potato protein, it has a, a really impressive amino acid profile. And so it's, it, you know, just having that mix of, of protein sources can, can be helpful, but really do look at that ingredient list as well. Yeah. So you were talking about athletes and you've talked about older adults. And when I think of both of these populations, we're looking at a group of people who, in the case certainly of strength athletes, want to build a lot of muscle. And then for older adults, it's hard to maintain the muscle that they, we even have. So in, in these cases, what's the connection between protein and muscle versus what you do in the gym and muscle? Well, there, you know, the, the thing that we have to recognize is that in order to build muscle and in order to retain muscle, we need to use muscle. And so what you're doing in the gym is absolutely critical. Um, if you overeat protein and you're not exercising, it, 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 you know, it doesn't get, it doesn't cause you to build bigger muscle. It, it just gets, uh, converted into energy and, and used up as energy. Uh, so in order to build muscle, you need, you need to be exercising. Um, but you also need to be ensuring adequate intakes of protein. And, and so for, for athletes, that seems to be fairly easy because they're eating so many calories. For seniors, it's a way bigger challenge because they're eating so few calories quite often. So I think if some of the people listening are hearing this as I am, it's pretty revolutionary because I'm thinking of things that I have heard over the years that nobody has any sort of lack of protein except starving people with your core, and we just don't see that in this country. And yet, you are saying that in your own practice, you have seen signs, particularly in older women, of suboptimal protein. 
So what would those signs be? What should we be looking for? Yeah, so I have been absolutely stunned by the number of, of, of older women that that I've seen that are showing signs of inadequate protein intakes. And every time I do the same thing, I say, um, you know, write down what your typical food intake looks like for a day or give me a 24, 48 hour recall. And I just look at what their protein intake is. And quite often when they're eating a whole food plant-based diet and they're, they're, they're older uh, women and they're eating fairly small portions of food, their protein intake comes in at somewhere between 30 and 40 grams a day. And it's and how many this and I know different weights and things are different, but how how yeah. much should it be? It it should be, you know, I would say at least a gram per kilogram body weight. So for a for a hundred and twenty pound woman or a hundred and thirty or forty pound woman, we would probably be looking at at least sixty grams a day. So okay. somewhere in the range of almost double what they're getting. Um, maybe not quite for some, but, uh, you know, a, a significant amount more. And so what I usually see is they do notice muscle loss or, you know, in some cases, sarcopenia. Um, they, they tend to have a weakened immune system, so they're getting sick more often. Uh, their bone density is, is lo lower. They're losing bone mass. But probably the most common things I see relate to skin, hair, nails. So their skin tends to get papery and it, it bruises easily. It breaks easily. Uh, and it just, you know, we need protein to make elastin and collagen and keratin. Those are all needed for hair and skin and nails. And so, so they, they often the hair starts falling out. Um, but skin issues are super, super common. And, uh, I, you know, I've, I've helped these women to focus a little bit more on consuming foods in the legume family at each meal and upping their protein intake so that it's, it's at a level that I think is, is ample. And these issues uh, reverse, um, you know, get them exercising as well a little more, but, but in terms of their skin and their hair, uh, it just, they, they just get so much healthier and they feel better. And uh, so I see this, you know, it, it upsets me sometimes when I hear leaders in the plant-based movement say, I've never seen a case of, of, uh, you know, insufficient protein intakes. Uh, and, and it's, it's non-existent. It's, you know, protein deficiency is non-existent. Uh, and, you know, we just need to recognize that it it does exist, it can exist. And often when we see these kinds of symptoms, it is protein related. It can be iron, zinc, and protein related because a lot of the foods that are rich in protein are also rich in iron and zinc. And so it may be, you know, a shortfall in all of those nutrients. But I do think as we get older, we want to move towards a diet that's just thinking about protein a little bit more to avoid sarcopenia, to avoid frailty, to avoid uh, some of these, you know, signs and symptoms of in, inadequate protein intake. And I, I see this much more in women than I do in men. Because men are probably eating more? 
they're eating more and they tend to focus more on protein-rich foods. Even if they're plant-based, they, they will eat bigger portions of the, of the, you know, the beans or the tofu or the veggie meats or whatever the case may be. What if they get too gung-ho? Is it possible to have too much if the protein comes from plants? Um, I would say generally no. If you're eating whole foods, uh, and, and or mainly whole foods, even if you have a bit of veggie meat in there, the only time I would say we we would we could see an excess of plant protein is for people that are consuming truly concentrated protein sources like plant, you know, these protein powders in 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 large uh, amounts. Uh, generally, the adverse effects that we see with protein, with excessive protein, are associated with animal proteins. And so it's really interesting when you look at mortality and morbidity statistics where, where protein is concerned and you look at some of these uh, trials that have been done. Uh, there was a trial uh, in 2014 that looked at people consuming at least 20% of calories from protein. And, and those that were consuming that amount had a, about a 75% increased risk of mortality. And the risk of cancer and diabetes and all of these chronic diseases was just remarkably higher. But that association was completely abolished or greatly attenuated if the protein came from plants. And what I'm saying there is that those that got that high protein intake from animal products, uh, it increased the risk of morbidity and mortality. But those that got their protein from plants, it didn't. And, and, and then we have a number of studies as well that I think have been just so interesting. Looking at uh, replacing just... 3% of calories. So the first study that was done like this was in 2016, Dr. Song from Harvard. He did this uh, very interesting study where he looked at replacing uh, 3% of calories from animal protein with plant protein and what it would do to uh, mortality uh, and morbidity. And, and then he looked specifically at well, what if the, that protein came from eggs versus processed meat versus red meat and so forth? And, and it was fascinating. And just to put this into a practical, more practical perspective, 3% of calories in a typical 2000 calorie diet is 60 calories. So that's less than one egg, one large egg. It's about, you know, an ounce or an ounce and a half of meat, depending on how lean it is. So this is the tiniest portion of animal protein. Replacing that with plant protein, uh, you know, reduces risk of death and, and disease very significantly. Most significantly, if we're replacing eggs or processed, processed meat or eggs and then red meat and then dairy and, and white meat. Uh, there was another study, a very similar study done. Um, it was an NIH study, uh, by another, uh, professor, Dr. Huang. Uh, t he reported a 10% drop in overall mortality when 3% of calories from animal protein were replaced with plant protein. And so that's like replacing it with legumes or nuts or something like that. And, and, and I did a little bit of math using his data. Um, so I, I looked at, you know, red meat uh, reduced risk of, of death by 13%. 
when we replaced it with plant protein, reduced risk of death by 13% for men and 15% for women. For eggs, it was 24% for men, 21% for women. And so I did the math and replacing one large egg, two ounces of meat and one cup of 2% milk per day would reduce risk of mortality based on the data from that study by about 54%. So, and, and you know, the findings are very similar for cardiovascular disease, for type 2 diabetes, for cancer. There was actually a study that, again, looked at replacing 3% of calories from red meat with, 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 with uh, plant uh, protein. And they found a 50% drop in cancer mortality, just replacing like 60 calories in a 2,000 calorie diet. It's unbelievable. And uh, that was from, from processed, I think that was from processed red meat, um, but yeah. still just incredible uh, numbers. And this is, yeah, it's just seen, seen consistently over and over and over again. Um, animal protein associated with, with increased risk, plant protein associated with reduced risk. Oh my goodness. And you know, Brenda, to me as a longtime ethical <laughs> vegetarian vegan, it's, it's karma. It's like it's karma. Brings about gracious yeah. sense alive. Well, let's just ponder that for a moment and take a little break and we'll be right back. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. here with Brenda Davis, registered dietitian, and she is the co-author along with Vasanto Molina, also a wonderful registered dietitian. And you guys, you're like a girl band. You just write <laughs> these books together over and over and over again. And also the other author is Corey Davis, who is Brenda's wonderful son. And he has a profession that I had never heard of before. So tell us what Corey does. He's an agrologist. What is that? He, he is an agrologist and he also works very closely with First Nations in, in uh, British Columbia, 
uh, doing, you know, um, negotiations and so forth. But a necrologist is someone who is uh, an environmental science scientist with expertise in in land use and soil uh, and those kinds of things. So it's uh, yeah, it's in, in, interesting for sure. He's very interested in in how um, animal agriculture impacts, uh, you know, the uh, impacts land in general. And uh, it's it's really quite an interesting story. So we were just thrilled to bits to have him do a, a chapter on, on um, you know, the consequences uh, to the environment of our protein choices. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm sure that was wonderful to be able to work with your son. I know I worked with my daughter on Main Street Vegan, and that's just always going to be such a sweet memory for me because, you know, you, uh, you raise these children and then they become these brilliant adults. Yeah, <laughs> it's just that it was, it's just such a joy, isn't it, Victoria, yeah. to see uh, their passion and their skill and, and, and that they're moving in this direction to make such a difference in the world. And it's, you know, and I, I love what you said about, you know, being, you've been doing this for how many years now? Uh, 40 is a vegan, uh, yeah. about 52 vegetarian. Wow. And, and, you know, that's just unbelievable. And for me, it's been about 35 as being, you know, mostly vegan, uh, and, uh, and being very interested in plant-based before that. And, you know, that's one of the things that, that I, I love about this, this movement is, you know, and when you think about your sources of protein, well, protein-rich plant foods do provide a more healthful, a more ecologically sustainable, but also a kinder way of providing protein to a very rapidly growing uh, human population. Yes, and um, it it to me it just makes no sense to to be sourcing most of our protein or much a huge amounts of protein from animals when it's not only unnecessary, but it, it we're hurting ourselves, we're hurting our planet, and we're causing this unthinkable suffering to billions of animals who are raised in confinement. I mean, it's what, 70 billion a year uh, or more on this planet. Most of them, probably 90 or 95% are raised in capos. Um, so choosing plant protein just makes sense on so many levels, and especially though for those of us who have a choice. I know yes. not everybody does. We do. So it just it just makes so much sense. And as you quote statistics, those fascinating studies about the tiny percentage of animal protein being traded out for plant protein and what that does for longevity, that is information that is going to get out there. There is a quotation from Buddha that you know, three things cannot long be hidden, the sun, the moon, and the truth. And this truth is going to become widespread. And thanks to people like you and, and Visanto, um, it's coming, it's coming. And, now, and I, I agree, Victoria. I just want to add to that, you know, it and and it has to come because if it doesn't, we will not be able to survive as a species. Change has to happen. And I think young people are actually starting to get that. Yes. Um, you know, they're starting to get that and to see that 
that there are alternatives and there are ways that we can reduce our carbon footprint. I can remember my son, when he was still in university, he was taking a, a, a course in environmental sciences and, and his teacher had the entire class uh, calculate their carbon footprint. And he lived a distance from the university, about a half an hour. And so he drove in, whereas a lot of his, uh, his peers were biking in. And, and when they did the calculations, he had by far the lowest carbon footprint. And, and his peers were protesting to the teacher. How can that be possible, sir? We ride our bikes. He drives a car. And they were going on and on. And, and the teacher just looked at them and he said, read my lips. He doesn't eat meat. <laughs> and and it's a lot of a lot of people still uh don't recognize that huge contribution that our food choices make to our carbon footprint. Yes. Wow. I wanted to ask you Brenda, you were talking earlier about older adults and protein and whatnot. And I have two friends who are in assisted living. One was a vegetarian, one was vegan, but now both of them are eating all animal foods because mm -hmm. they otherwise just could not get enough to eat. Mm -hmm. And in at least one of these cases, the woman was told that they could totally accommodate her plant-based diet. Oh. So there's a little something about this in your wonderful book, Plant-Powered Protein, but what do you know about facilities and what happens for people who are vegetarian or, or vegan when they get in this kind of situation? Well, I actually have a dear friend who's in the exact same position. She was you know, largely plant-based for many years and is now in a facility and eating whatever they serve her, even though they said they'd do the best, their best to accommodate her. Um, it just, it just isn't happening. I, in 2012, I was involved in a project uh, with the Goodman Group, and the Goodman Group at that time, I think, owned close to 50 uh, facilities, large facilities across the U.S. And John Goodman, the owner of that group, uh, was determined to make uh, plant-based uh, choices sort of the default. And, and he asked me to come in and, and help, uh, you know, figure out how they could do that. And, and they, they hired a, a chef to manage it all. And I worked with them developing guidelines. And, um, but they, they even were looking at changing their happy hours to, you know, smoothie hours and, and just doing things to really fortify the nutrition for these individuals. And I, I even had some meetings with the residents to see what they would like to see in, in, in terms of changes to their the food that they were receiving. But I was so excited to see what they ended up doing and, and the choices that they were giving their uh, the people in their, in, in their homes. And, and so it is possible. It's starting to happen, but we really need to advocate for our loved ones. In some cases, we need to help to fortify their diets by bringing them some maybe healthy non-dairy milk, like an unsweetened soy milk that they could have with their, 
with their breakfast, um, you know, their oatmeal, maybe some nuts and seeds they could add in or have as snacks and, and just, um, you know, have a conversation with the cook that, is there a way that I could help you provide recipes? Could I provide some food so that when you're, even if it's when they're having some sort of a chicken stir fry where you could have tofu or, or veggie chicken or whatever it is that would be suitable that they could have in the freezer and just throw in if you pre-prepared it. I don't, I'm not sure how willing they would be to do some of these things, but it's, we, we just need to keep advocating for our loved ones because it's so sad when someone who's chosen this more sort of this, um, you know, more healthful, ethically, um, uh, uh, justifiable, in my view, way of eating where they have to give that up, uh, if they go into a facility and also to really look at the facility, the options that you have, because there are some facilities that really do make an effort. That is really good to know. I'm sure that will help a lot of, of people and a lot of people who love people who, you know, nobody thinks we're ever going to end up somewhere other than our very own home. But for a lot of people that happens and to be able to look out for the vegan elders is a pretty cool thing. In fact, uh, there's some talk about uh, having a panel on that for Vegan Summerfest this year. Uh-huh. I know uh, John Pierre is interested. I hope you'll want to be part of that too. Oh, it it uh, is an area that I find very very interesting, and one of the things that brings such joy to my heart is to see vegan our vegan elders or our vegan seniors or older adults doing just amazingly well. And I think of, you know, I was just in uh, Pennsylvania a few months ago with Colin Campbell and Caldwell Esselstyn and their wives, Karen and Anne. And I just can't believe how vibrant, energetic and productive they are. You know, uh, Dr. Esselstyn and Dr. Campbell uh, have either just turned, I know, um, I think they both just turned 90. Their wives are 88, probably close to 89. And if, if you've seen them, they look incredible and they are so energetic. And that's the goal. We talk about health span versus, you know, uh, just lifespan. I mean, we can, you know, people that live to be a hundred, that's one thing. But if, if the, you know, the last 20 or 30 years are riddled with disease, it's not so much fun. But when you're still uh, really productive and healthy, uh, those years can be pretty joyful. And yeah. I think we see that in a lot of plant-based uh, older adults, which just is is really quite a wonderful thing to see. Well, it's so amazing on social media to see a video of Anne Esselstyn <laughs> pulling a giant tire. I mean, this is like strongman stuff or strongwoman stuff. You know, we were, her and I, I have to tell you this story because it's so funny. Her and Essie and I, Dr. Esselstyn and I were in Ireland or Iceland, sorry, Iceland. And we were we were doing some talks there and and it was about, maybe four hours before, three hours before we had to head back to the airport to take our flights home. And Anne calls me and she said, Brenda, there's one more thing we have to do before we leave this place. 
She said, you won't believe it, but they have a penis museum here. We've got to go see the penis museum. She said, it's only about a mile and a half away. She said, if we walk really fast, <laughs> we'll be able to make it there, see the whole museum and, and, and walk back. That, you know, Anne walks like a 30-year-old. She's incredible. She is just so, she's just so full of energy. It's, it's remarkable. I, I just am so inspired by her. But that was such fun to do that together. That that is hysterical. Oh, That's it was really funny. That is actually something that I have been thinking about lately. Because as I told you before, uh, we went on the air. I uh, just finished my book that will be out about a year from now, about ten months from now, I guess. Age like a yogi, and one of the things that I was was working on was the idea of maintaining everything you have. Because if you've always walked fast, you can always walk fast. If you always sat on the floor and gotten up and you continue to do that, you can do it. But if oh, you get I love to it. this idea of thinking, well, no, you know, I'll just slow down because my friends are slowing down, that'll slow you down. Absolutely. And if you have the opportunity for people that are listening, you will be so inspired by watching the new Netflix series of, of, on the Blue Zones and, and just seeing, you know, you talked about, you know, if you've always sat on the floor that the, this one, I don't know if he was 100 years old or close to it, but he sat in, in a um, lotus position and pushed himself up with two hands from the floor and was just sort of, you know, sitting there like that. It was just amazing. And then a lady that was, I don't know, 105 or something who was chopping wood. And and I love that. I love it. And I really believe, you know, I know I'm just turning 65 this month, but I've always, you know, um, been able to do handstands and headstands and the splits and things like that. And I've just continued to do it so I can still do it. And people say, wow, you can still do that at your age. But if you don't stop doing it, you just continue doing well, that's it. That's the thing. <laughs> Whatever is normal persists. Yes, exactly. I love it. So, Brenda, I don't want to keep you all day and all night, although, of course, I, I really would. Uh. Just to kind of uh, close it out here on, on the protein question, and listeners do take a look at plant-powered protein, nutrition essentials, and dietary guidelines for all ages, because it's not just all of this fabulous information on protein, what it really does, where to get it. There are amazing recipes now, Brenda, when you have all these great recipes in your book, do you and Visanto come up with those? Yes, um, we do. Um, we try, and, and we have about five or six recipe testers that are absolutely determined to make sure every recipe hits five stars before it'll get into one of our books. And uh -huh. so it, it's just really quite fun. I have to admit, my son is actually, I think, a better cook than I am, and and uh, is he's just incredible with uh, with with food. Um, just has that talent of creating. He just grew a lion's mane mushroom and turned it into a steak using that technique where you squash it and you marinate it and you do all of this fancy stuff. And he just 
it, he just loves, loves doing that kind of thing. So he's, he's even better than we are. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I love to cook and I love to experiment. I'm, I'm not the best for, I, I always say I'm allergic to measuring spoons and measuring cups. So when I actually have to create a recipe, that's painful for me because I love just to go by feel. And I think a lot of people are like that. You just, you know, you want to add what, you know, the feel, you want to add what seems to be appropriate at the time. But yeah. Uh, so, it, yeah, so it's challenging to do these recipes. Sometimes you have to make them, you know, you'll make a recipe that's perfect. And then when you try to create an actual or you make a dish that's perfect. And then when you try to create a recipe, you have to do it seven or eight times before it comes out the same as, as what it did when you were going by intuition and feel. <laughs> well, they, they look incredibly delicious. Lemon tahini protein plus dressing, um, veggie sausage and sauerkraut soup, uh, curry in a hurry, easy peasy chili. Oh, I like the titles too. So this <laughs> is going to be a really, really helpful book, everybody. Uh. Brenda, famous last words. <laughs> well, I will just say I am so grateful for uh, for what you do, Victoria, and, and how much you've educated so many people and helped to move this this plant based movement forward. I'm I'm grateful for every sing single individual who's moving in a direction towards a more plant based diet consciously and being aware of, of, of the impact, the consequences of their choices, not just for themselves, but beyond themselves. And uh, so we're, you know, we're, we're moving in the right direction. It's so exciting. You and I saw what it was like 30 or 40 years ago, and what it's like today in terms of the awareness and, and people that are interested and medical professionals that are interested and uh, it's very, very encouraging. I'm excited about the future. Uh, that is is really exciting. I think especially the medical interest. I remember when I met Michael Clapper, who <laughs> came to a vegetarian summer fest in 1984. And there was all this scuttlebutt. There's a medical doctor here. There's a medical doctor here. There's a medical doctor here. And then I see this really tall guy walk by and I'm thinking, oh, he must be a basketball player. And it's like, no, he's not a basketball player. He's the medical doctor. And I remember thinking, well, everything will change now because we have a medical doctor. And when you look at our now, the idea that not that long ago, there was one in this country, there was one in England too, but then they just kept adding on slowly, slowly. And now in, in great gushing, powerful waterfalls of um, MDs and oh, RDs like yourself. And you guys were first. We had RDs long before <laughs> we had MDs. But I think that's because you guys are food whisperers and you can really get in there and really understand the connection between food and health, which is, I think, something that the medical profession at large has yet to learn, but many of these wonderful individual doctors certainly have. Well, that is quite a, a statement and it is so true. 
And it is so exciting to see. I, I can remember when the American College of Lifestyle Medicine started in their first conference. I think they had 100 people. Now they have, you know, at least 1,500 or 2,000 uh, each year. And, and uh, they have so many watching online and people who are part of the, you know, ACLM all over the world. It's, yes. it's just so exciting. It is. It's fantastic. And just thank you for being part of it. Thank you for being part of our program today. Thank you for writing plant-powered protein. And I know you have another book in the works, a book about aging. Do you have a title for that one yet? We don't yet, but we are going to be focusing on how uh, older adults can put together a simple but absolutely nutritionally adequate uh, plant-based diet and how they can move in that direction safely and effectively. Uh, well, I will certainly be waiting for that one too. So thank you, lovely Brenda. Uh, thank, thank you, lovely you. listeners. It just means so much. You know, when we started this podcast back in 2012, I believe we were the fourth or fifth <laughs> vegan podcast <laughs> on earth. And now there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And the fact that you have chosen to listen to this one means a lot. And I hope that you will also stop in and watch my streaming show, The Main Street Vegan Salon on Unchained TV. And Brenda, if you find yourself in New York City, let me know and we will do that show because that is live in a studio and all fancy and fun. I would love that. That would be a lot of fun. New York is well, everything with Brenda Davis is fun. Listen, <laughs> thank you yet again. Now just go out there and make Main Street vegan. Thanks for listening. Find out more about today's episode at MainStreetVegan.com where you can also learn how to take your vegan or plant-based outreach to the professional level through Main Street Vegan Academy. And join our inner circle at the Main Street Vegan Podcast Listeners Group on Facebook. See you next time. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.